Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. Good morning. You made it on Spring Forward Sunday. Good work. Good work. Well, hey, yeah, we are in our first series of the, or the first uh, sermon in our Stressed Out series. And Chris talked about it a little bit last week, how in the fall we had done a series on fear. And as he had researched about kind of this epidemic of anxiety and panic attacks and depression in our culture, that one of the things he discovered is a lot of those things are being, are kind of coming from the fact that we are a stressed out people and that we don't deal well in our lives with stress. So he wanted to come back to this topic in the spring and talk about specifically how living the way God wants us to live with the rhythms and the practices that he wants us to live by help us deal with stress in our lives. And so today we're going to start the series um, looking at this topic, and I'm going to, okay, so before I even say what the topic is, I'm going to do something a little bit differently. I am going to read you what will seemingly appear to be unrelated scripture verses from different sections of the Bible in order to show you a pattern. Because what you'll see as I go through these scriptures is that initially what seems unrelated will reveal this pattern that God has for us in the way that he deals with us. And hopefully, if you're new to Christianity, if you're unfamiliar with these sections, I'll give enough of a backstory that you'll be able to grasp it all. And that we'll all come out of this sermon with a little bit of a better picture of who God is and his plan for us. So first we're going to start. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to look at right after God had made the earth and the plants and the animals. And and actually he'd made Adam, who was the first human being. And it says this in verse 15 of Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, I want you to sit in that for just a minute. In paradise, before sin, when God and man walked together in paradise, when they talked face to face, God had a limit for Adam. He had a boundary. He had a constraint. So I want you to take note of that. Now, we're going to move forward to a section of scripture that involves the man named Moses. Now, if you don't know who Moses is, Moses was the guy who led the Israelites out of slavery. They'd been enslaved in Egypt for a long time. And the Israelites were God's chosen people. Moses is the one that, that you know, the, the Red Sea parted and he led the people through that. He got the Ten Commandments from God. He saw God in a burning bush. That's Moses. And so Moses had the job of taking the Israelites out of Egypt, then leading them through the desert for 40 years to the promised land, which was an area that God had specifically picked out for his people. So Moses, in this process of leading the people, had moments in time where the people would overwhelm him with their complaints. People are people. Any of you who are parents know that there are moments in time when people can overwhelm you with complaints. 
And Moses had some times where the people would come to him and the, the lack of food, the lack of water, the lack of permanent housing took its toll on the attitude of the people. And in one particular time, they just came to him and they were all complaining. And so he and his brother Aaron went to God and said, okay, the people are thirsty, we need water. And so God said in Numbers, well, no, I won't tell you that yet. So God tells Moses, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to this rock over here and you're going to speak to the rock and water is going to flow out of the rock so that everybody has some water to drink. So Moses, still irritated with the fact that the people are um, complaining, he goes out and he goes to the rock and he kind of, as he's going to the rock, he yells at the people and he's like, I'm going to get the, the water out of this rock. And he has bad attitude about the whole thing. And instead of speaking to the rock, which God told him to do, he hit the rock twice. And this is what it says in Numbers 20. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So what happened was Moses basically had a tantrum in response to the people's tantrum. Those of you who are moms out there know that this is possible. We've all done it. Okay, But what happened was, in his frustration, we see that he was thinking too highly of himself by saying, I'm going to bring you this, this water out of this rock. No, no, God's going to do it. And then also, he didn't listen to exactly how he was supposed to do it. He hid it in frustration instead of speaking to it. And so God says, look, you're going to lead them for 40 years in the desert. You're going to you know, do all that you have done, but you don't get to go into the promised land. Now, it seems kind of harsh to us, but... God, in his wisdom, knew what he was doing, and he put a limit on Moses. Now, it's also important for you to know that God and Moses had a very special relationship, a very unique relationship. Moses met with God so often and was in God's presence so often that his whole body, the Bible says, radiated light. He just had this real cool relationship with God, one that we would be so, um, you know, excited to have. All right, now, so that's Moses. Then we're going to move forward to David. So David, if you don't know, was the second king of Israel. And he also had a very special relationship with God. He started out as a shepherd boy, and then he made his way up through being a mighty warrior and actually played the harp for the king before him. He had a very unique kind of rise to power. He comes to power, and... Um, and just loved God. I mean, he, the New Testament says that he was a, a man after God's own heart. Most of the book of Psalms in the Bible was, were songs that were written by David for God. And so David was this really interesting character. If you go back and you look, yes, he had this wonderful, deep, dynamic relationship with God, but he had some hills and valleys and a very interesting life. But at this point in the story of David, it is when he has finally established his kingdom. After years of being on the run and fighting, he's in this season of peace and he builds a palace in Jerusalem. And he's in the palace and he realizes, I mean, he already knew this, but the thought occurs to him. Here I am sitting in luxury and God's temple, his holy place is made out of a tent. The same tent that went with Moses through the desert. And David says to himself, I'm going to make God a temple, a permanent, beautiful, grand temple. And so he goes to the prophet Nathan and he tells him, this is what my plans are. Well, then the prophet Nathan goes to God and God says this to Nathan, which then Nathan says to David. 
In 2 Samuel it says, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, why have you not built a house of cedar for me? When you die and join your ancestors, I will make one of your sons the next king and I will set up his kingdom. He will build a house for me and I will let his kingdom rule always. So here, God is setting up a limit for David. What seemed like a great idea to David, God says no. Now, again, they had a unique, good, wonderful relationship, and still God said no. Now, we're going to move on to one more guy. This guy's Paul. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the New Testament, Paul started out being an enemy of the church. He did not want the church to grow. He didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. And he was very adamant that he was going to go and make sure that any of the new Christians were going to end up in prison. And he was persecuting them. He was like the leader of the pack to persecute the new Christians. Well, then one day God shows up and radically converts Paul. And he becomes this incredible leader of the church. He ends up writing most of the New Testament. So if you want to read a story about a fascinating guy, you can go read about Paul. But in Acts... After Paul gets converted, he's so excited and he wants to share his faith with others. He wants to tell everybody else about Jesus. And so the the book of Acts shows how he travels all over the known world to tell people about Jesus. But it says this in Acts 16. When they, that was meaning Paul and a buddy, came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Trous. So here, God has this incredible relationship with Paul. He's inspired him to write, well, he hasn't yet, but he will inspire him to write huge sections of the Bible. He he radically changed Paul's life, and still he says to Paul, no, I have a limit. Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, what does this have to do with being stressed out? Well... God has limits for us, and he has had limits for people from the very beginning. And we have this natural instinct to fight against those limits. And when we fight against those limits that he has for us in our lives, we experience stress. And a lot of us are stressed because we are pushing past the limits God has designed for us. He's given us general limits on how to live and and how to interact with others. But then he also has individual limits for each of us specifically based on his plan for us and for our lives. Part of what creates stress and anxiety in our lives is when we fight against those limits God has for us. You know, just off the general limits, just off the top of my head, I thought of a few general limits that would help to clarify what I mean by that. So, and, and, and many of you, if I start to talk about them, you'll be like, oh yeah, that is a point of stress in my life. But think about this. God has given us direction or limit on how to use our finances and how to spend our money. And if we ignore those, those rules or those limits, we end up in debt and we end up stressed out. We're still buying things on Amazon and going to Target, but then we come home to the credit card bill that we can't pay. 
and it produces stress. Some of us don't listen to God's limits about how to, you know, walk in our relationships and how to behave in romantic relationships or just in relationships with other people. And because we ignore those limits, we end up stressed out. And we end up in stressful situations that we were never meant to be in. And some of us disregard God's limits for us on, on rest. Now, we've been talking a lot about rest here and there and how God has designed our bodies to rest. But many times we just plow through that thinking, I don't need rest. I'm fine. And because of that, we're stressed out. We are attracted to the idea of pushing past the limits, just like Adam was in the garden. And if you think back to that story, if you are familiar with it, you know that when Adam and Eve saw that tree and all the good fruit on the forbidden tree, they decided they were going to eat from it. But they decided that by having some help from the devil who was in the form of a serpent. And he came and the serpent said, did God really say? And we do the exact same thing. In 2020, we think to ourselves, did God really say I can't live with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Did God really say that I can't rack up debt on my credit card? Did God really say I'm supposed to make rest a rhythm in my life? So we ignore those things and we end up stressed out. The funny thing about God is that what we think limits us actually frees us. And what we mistakenly think of as freedom, the things we, we do that push past God's limits, end up trapping us. And we end up being enslaved to stress. Now let's look just a little bit deeper at this whole idea of rest. Okay, I'm just going to pick that one because I really think that's one of the common ones that, that it's not really... You know, we don't think of it as a sin. It's not really a sin to not rest. But I think in our hardworking kind of rat race culture, this is one of the big ones for us. I know for me, it was instilled in me from an early age, laziness is bad, hard work is good. And I think God would agree that laziness is not what he wants. However, he doesn't say that rest is bad. In fact, he says that rest is good. He considers rest a gift to us. And rest actually has a purpose. So I want you to hear me when I say this. Rest is not a waste of time. Rest is not a waste of time. I heard a podcast one time that was on marriage. And it was talking specifically about how wives get irritated with their husbands when they rest. And I needed to hear it that day. I don't know if any wives in here have ever looked at their husbands on the couch on a Sunday afternoon and thought as they walk in to go fold laundry or whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing. I love my husband. He is a hard worker. But I used to, and he can attest to this, this has changed in our marriage. It used to be that when I saw him on the couch, I would slam cabinets harder in the kitchen. You ever do that? And um, not make it easy for him to take that nap. But what I learned and what I have learned is that rest is not a waste of time. That we need rest in order to recharge. It's like a battery in one of those recharging things. In order for it to work well later, it has to recharge. And the same is true for us. And rest does more than even that. It teaches us to stop 
and look around and enjoy what God has given us. It reminds us to stop and realize that if we don't do everything we think we have to do, the world still goes on and God keeps everything under control. Rest reminds us we're not him. And that we do have limits and we were made to have limits and it's okay to have limits. God has given us a formula for rest, and we've talked about this recently, the idea of a Sabbath, that every seventh day you rest. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on this because we literally just talked about this maybe a month and a half ago. And we put the link to that sermon in your notes. So if you missed it or if you want to listen to it again, you can go back in your notes and find it. But we've got, we've bought the lie that we don't need to rest and that God doesn't want us to rest. A lot of us actually have taken scripture and twisted it to support our misunderstanding. In Philippians 4, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, some of you have t-shirts that say that. And you consider it a battle cry. I know I have in the past. I can do everything. I can do anything I want. I can run a, well, I've never thought I could run a 5K. But some people think I can, you know, and that, that I mean, that's not necessarily bad. But I think running is bad. But those of you who like running, that's good. No, but to be honest, that scripture is not written to say we could do anything we want in Christ. We can do it all. That's not what it's meant to say. When Paul was writing that scripture, he was talking about how he had learned to be content in any circumstance. He had learned to go through hard things and still have faith on the other side. But it has become this battle cry that we think we've got to do, do, do for Jesus all the time. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to do cool things for God. I'm not saying that even God won't do amazing things through us because I think he will and he does. I mean, we see that in Moses and David and Paul, that God does things that are beyond their natural abilities. And I think that's possible for us too. But God also gives us limits and he gave those men limits. And what we see by their example is that they were able to do amazing things for God and also embrace the limits God gave them. When we embrace the limits God gives us, we will reduce stress in our lives. Now, I have four kids, and because of that, I have a plethora of illustrations for sermons. And one, one thing I was thinking of during the, my sermon prep was the fact that I've had... A number, I've gone through a number of medical issues with my children. Uh, we had one kid who had kidney surgery. We had one girl who had Lyme disease. We had another girl who got taken by ambulance to Pittsburgh. And we've had our share of medical experiences. And in every single one of those cases, the kids were too young to understand what was going on. And I remember one time in particular, Brian was on a, um, a business trip. He's only been on two business trips in our whole marriage. And one of them was when I had to go to Pittsburgh with a kid in an ambulance. Okay, it was not good timing. So I'm alone in Pittsburgh with my one daughter and they had to give her an IV. She's fine, praise God. Okay, but anyway, you know, spoiler alert, although that's a good thing. So, but in the midst of this whole process, I had to hold her down, like literally wrap my leg around her legs and wrap my arms around her arms in order to stop her from flailing against what was going to help her. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh honey, if you would just relax, if you would just stop fighting, this would not be so hard. 
And this is what we do with the limits God gives us. The very thing that will keep us safe, we fight up against. You know, my arms around her were to protect her from us sticking the needle in the wrong place. And my arms around her kept her safe while they were doing the very thing that they needed to do to help her. But we do this. We, 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 we bust up against the limits God has for us, not trusting him that he knows best. You know, now it's easier. Now they're older. Now they can logically understand, oh, okay, these limits, these hard things we may have to go through are for my good. They trust me. They trust the doctors. And because they do, they can now move forward in whatever, you know. I mean, like just this past week, I had a kid with pink eye. And before when we'd have to like, you know, to get the, to get the droplets in the eyes, now I literally just have to say, you just have to resist the instinct to blink. You know, I mean, it's just, it's much easier to just do. But that's because he trusts us now. He knows and understands. So God gives us these general limits that we can instinctively, like Adam, are tempted to, to fight. But then he also gives us individual limits based on what his plans are for us specifically. You know, when you look at Moses and David and Paul, you see that the things they wanted to do were good things. You know, of course David wants to build God a permanent temple. Of course Moses wants to go into the promised land. Of course Paul wants to share Jesus wherever he can. But God had specific plans for them and specific plans for the, peop the other people involved in the situation. Now, none of us feel like we're Moses or we're David or we're Paul. But God does have specific plans for us. Ephesians 2 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a specific plan for you. And he has specific plans for other people around you. You know, if you think about it, if David had built the temple, Solomon wouldn't have gotten to. If Moses had led the people into the promised land, Joshua, who was the one who ultimately didn't, wouldn't, did it, wouldn't have had that happen. And, and also, the story of Joshua leading people into the promised land teaches us also something else about God. Because, and this is, I didn't write this down, but side note, but it's interesting. So Moses led people through the Red Sea. Joshua ends up leading them through um, the River Jordan, and he splits the, well, God splits the water. But what's good for us to learn is that it's not just Moses who knows how to split the water. It was God who did it both times, and we are more readily able to see that because it's two different people. See, God has a plan for us, and what sometimes we think is a good, because we think it's a good thing, we think it's our thing. But sometimes that good thing that needs to be done is somebody else's job. But we're not listening to the limits that God has for us. And we may try to overtake and do something that's not ours to do. And then sometimes God will give us limits that's just a limit for a time period. Paul ended up going back to some of those towns he initially did not go to. It was all about timing. It was all about what God was preparing around Paul. And so Paul needed to trust God for the right time to do certain things. Here's the key. We will be able to embrace both general and limited 
um, or individual limits that God has for our lives when we know God. Because when we know him, we are able to trust him. These men knew God. And because they knew God, when it was time for God to say no to them, they listened. In order to trust God, you have to know him. As you get to know God, as you get to know his character and his love for you, you learn that he is powerful, that he is all-knowing, all that he is limitless even when you are limited. You trust his abilities to take care of you when you can't do all that you want to do. And when you know him, you also get to know his love for you which I think ultimately is, is one of the most motivating reasons why you embrace his limits. Because if you get the fact that he loves you so much that your best is what he has in mind by saying no, it's different. You understand, okay, I will take this as a no. I will, I will, I will accept and embrace this limit because I know your love for me. Let me share with you one other story just to kind of bring this idea home. I'm not going to take you to the scripture section, but we put, put the section of scripture in your notes so you can go back and look this week. But it's the story of Jesus in the desert. So right before he had his public, started his public ministry, he spent 40 days fasting in the desert. And we see at the end of his time in the desert, the devil comes to him to tempt him. And he tempts him in three ways. He tempts him to turn a stone into bread, which would seem very tempting because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And then the devil says, listen, I'm going to, well, he takes him to this really high rooftop. And he says, throw yourself down and prove to me that God will save your life. And then the third thing the devil tempts him with is he says, if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus, I will let you rule the world. And what is so fascinating about this section of scripture is that you see the God of the universe in bodily form, Jesus, embrace the limits of God. He says no to every single one of the temptations. And if you look at it even deeper, you, are, you can't miss the fact that the God of the universe willingly even just embraced the limit of coming in a human form. That he braced the limits of the fact that he lived for 30 years before letting anybody know he was the Messiah. And he is a picture of embracing limits through his entire life, all the way up to the crucifixion. Without Jesus embracing the limits of God, we would not have salvation. He's the perfect example of it. Now, so okay, how do we tangibly do this? How do we practically embrace the limits of God? Well, the first thing I would say to you, and these are, you know, um, just like ways that in your life you can change um, in order to embrace those limits God has for you. You know, because God's not limited. He's completely limitless. But he wants you to arrange your life in such a way that you will embrace what he has for you. The first one is this. Make space in your schedule to get to know God. Make space in your schedule to get to know God. I've already said this, and I'll say it again. We are so busy doing, we are so busy in the rat race, that we, are not, we don't 
know God. We're so busy doing good things for him that we're not spending any time getting to know him. You are loved. You are loved for who you are, not what you do. We are loved for who we are, not for what we do. God chose Adam, David, Moses, Paul. He chose them first before they did anything for him. And God chose you before you could ever do anything for him. He loved you first. You do not earn his love. And so we need to get to the place where we don't feel like we have to do, do, do all the time. And we can make space to know him. And we do that, or at least we can do that better by number two, which is knowing God's word. Knowing God's word. Now, we have a special gift in this day and age that for centuries other people did not have. We have the Bible at our fingertips in a way that no one else has. We have the paper form. We've got it online on any kind of, you know, you can have an app on your phone. It's everywhere. And we live in a country where we're allowed to read it. It's a gift to us. And it's one of the best tools we have to get to know God. As you read your Bible, as you spend time getting to know God by reading your Bible, you get to learn what the general limits are. Many of you here right now are thinking, I don't even know what the general limits are, let alone my individual limits. Well, you learn that by reading the Word of God. So you get those general limits, you start to learn those, you start to embrace those in your life. But then ultimately you also learn about God and who he is and what his thoughts are and how he speaks. And as you learn those, those things, you'll be walking along on, you know, at some point and you'll have a thought that is scripturally based. And you realize all of a sudden, oh wait, that thought wasn't my thought. That was God's thought for me. That was God guiding me. When you look at the story, and I'm, I'm expecting you to look back at the story of Jesus in the desert, you see that the way Jesus fought the devil was with Scripture. Let me read to you a quote that Timothy Keller um, wrote in, in a, um, a devotional on the book of Psalms. He wrote this, and I, and I read it this past week, and I thought it sound, it's just perfect. It says, Jesus answered every one of Satan's assaults with passages from Deuteronomy. As he was carrying the cross, he cited the prophet Hosea. And as he was dying in agony, he quoted the Psalms. Jesus was so saturated in the word of God that it spontaneously came to his mind, enabling him to interpret and face every challenge. There are modern imitations of what Jesus had. Relaxation techniques, stress management, positive thinking, mystical forms of contemplation. But nothing can duplicate it. God's word was what sustained Jesus when he lived and when he died. Accept no substitutions. The more you know God's word, the more you will know God. And the more you know God, the more you will trust him when he says no. Start with five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. Some of you I know are already doing this. Some of you did it for a while and then stopped. Start up again. 
Some of you who maybe you struggle with reading comprehension or maybe you have a bunch of little ones and you can, cannot even figure out how you would stop and read the Bible for a while. Both the Vineyard app and the Bible app on your phone um, have the, the, the ability to read the Bible aloud to you. So consider doing that. We have Bibles in the lobby if you don't have a Bible. We have bookmarks in the lobby that have a good recommended reading of where to start in the Bible. Grab one of those if you need one today. The third thing that I would say, third practical step for how to embrace God's limit is to accept the gift of rest and make it a habit. This is like starting point embracing God's limits. Because if you start there, you will leave space to hear God in your life. You will allow for the replenishing of your spirit so that when he says yes and when he says no, you're ready for it. You know, it's funny. I've been reading all these articles about how to stay healthy during the coronavirus and whatever. And one of the articles said the two best things you can do to fight off the coronavirus are wash your hands and get good rest. See, scientists are, you know, discovering how the importance of rest now. I mean, everywhere you look on mental health and self-care, you see it's so important to rest. But God knew it from the get-go. He's been telling us since Genesis, take a rest. And when we do that, we leave room for him. Now, all of these steps are going to require you to look at your calendar. And many of you might have to adjust, adjust your schedule. And do that every season, every time another opportunity comes for you to add something to your calendar. I mean, not, you know, there may be things that are pretty easy. You can say, yeah, I know I need to do that. But like a big commitment, like being on a board or, or being a part of a whole season of a sport for your kid. Pray about those things. Really ask God, is this the good thing you have for us? Is this a good thing you have for me and my family? If it's starting to infringe on rest and on time with God and getting to know God, you may need to come back around and say, I don't know, this might not be a good commitment for me. And then lastly, we've got to embrace the limits he gives us. Not just like grudgingly accept them, but embrace those limits as gifts recognizing that the designer of our lives who loves us more than we can understand knows what's best. He is not limiting us because he's just a grump. He limits us because he loves us and because he wants what's best for us. And you know what you see in the lives of Moses and David and uh, Paul is that they accepted these limits. They embraced these limits. It says that Moses went on to lead the people to the promised land. He did it. And David, after he was told he wasn't supposed to build the temple, the Bible says that he went and sat before the Lord and worshipped him and, and was thankful. And then Paul, of course, we see him continually going to different towns and just keeping his ear tuned to what the Spirit was telling him to do. And then the one last thing I want to make sure you know is some of, these per, some of these limits that God gives us are permanent limits. They're always going to be the case. But some of these limits are temporary because they're based on God's timing. If you look back at the story of Jesus, one of the coolest things you'll see is the fact that all those things the devil tempted him with are things that he ultimately got to do in God's timing. 
He turned, he miraculously made bread for thousands of people, not just once, but twice. He, 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 God did save him from death and ultimately to a life that would be eternal. And because he stayed faithful to God, he will now for all eternity rule the universe. God has our best in mind. Now, before I finish, I just want to say this one thing. For many of us, we've already made that initial decision. I'm following Jesus. And because we've made that initial decision, all these other things are just like the little steps along the way. But there are some of you here who've never really said, God, I'm in. I want you to lead me. I want you to show me how I'm supposed to live best. And for those of you who, who are in that position, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to figure out how to embrace his limits and how to live the way he wants you to live, you just start by praying. And you tell him that. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and enables you to do that. And so right now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that would allow you and, and, and kind of give you the words to say. They're not magic words, but they're just the words you can say to tell God, I'm in. I want to follow you with my life. I want you to direct my steps. And as I pray that, if you want to pray along with me, you can do that quietly in your heart. God sees it and he knows it. And then I would encourage you to go and share it with someone, at the, in, someone in your life, either a friend that's here or at the prayer area in the back, and tell somebody that you did that. But let's pray. So pray along with me if you'd like, if you would like God to be the director of your life, to be your Lord and your Savior. Father, I thank you that you see us. I thank you that you see me. And Father, I pray that you would come into my life. I pray, Father, that you would lead me and that I would follow you. I pray that you would help me to trust you. I pray that you would help me to embrace the limits you have for me and also the freedom you have for me. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me and that you have forgiven me in the times where I fought against the limits you have. Lord, have your way in my life. Fill me with your spirit so that I can know you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.